0: Welcome to Kavya, still, I have a compromised voice, keep that in mind. Beyond that, it's a pretty big day. So with Politico reporting that they have been leaked a draft opinion of SCOTUS regarding the Dobbs case that is currently being decided by the Supreme Court and the authentication of the decision has since been confirmed, I believe by a statement by Chief Justice John Roberts. The quotes from the decision as put forth by Politico, one of them includes, quote, we hold that Roe and Casey must be overturned. End quote. So, obviously, Roe v. Wade and Planned Parenthood v. Casey, the two big cases governing abortion and um, the ability for states to abridge rights to an abortion, or access to an abortion, anyway. The majority opinion was apparently penned by Justice Alito, and he adds, quote, Roe was egregiously wrong from the start, end quote, and opines that we must now return to the Constitution and leave it to the states, the elected representatives, to determine what to do when it comes to abortion. So obviously, as you can imagine, there were um, shockwaves, shockwaves through the digital and real life world. Apparently, they uh, erected a number of fences around the Supreme Court overnight, and there are already protesters there. Obviously, online, you know, Twitter is just a firestorm, as you might expect. But this is simply one of those watershed moments that has been in the making for a long time. So we're going to go through a a number of aspects of this uh, from a few different angles. First, we're going to look at the leak and what that means, what the implications are therefrom. Then the decision itself and what that means, and kind of the morality around the whole issue. I don't think this is something that we've talked about explicitly, have we, at any time through this? We've had a couple of uh, books that were related to it tangential ways, but I don't know that we've talked about it explicitly. And then the big picture, to kind of see where we are situated in the arc of history. So first, the leak itself. Uh, insane. It's utterly insane, to my knowledge. And it might just not have been reported on as vociferously as this one. But as far as I know, this is the first time this has happened is that you had a a leaked SCOTUS opinion about a a topic that, you know, was about to be decided. It's about something that's this politically incendiary. And it's one of those, you know, obviously it's highly unlikely that it was just accidental, like somebody was trying to email it to a colleague and accidentally included a gardener or something in it. I'm sure that wasn't the case. But Chief Justice John Roberts has assured the world that there will be a full investigation to determine the leak and that he was going to enlist the FBI, which is not really sharing in any way to try to figure it out. So, and it seems, it, it turns out it's a 5-4 to four decision, and uh, Chief Justice John Roberts, as is often the case, uh, to have joined with the conservative justices for uh, that decision. Now, there are a number of things to consider about the leak. The most likely scenario is that uh, there were, uh, one of the liberal justices or an employee, a staff member of one of the liberal justices wanted to leak this to start up the outrage and potentially pressure one of the justices to change their decision five to four i mean obviously that's uh, that's very close any one of them defects and that's that or it could have been leaked as part of a distraction from all the absolutely horrendous things going on i mean i just turned a corner on the way to my office and saw that gas is at 421 now you know when it got up in the in the high threes it was like how can this be this is absolutely horrible and yet it's still going but um that's of course leaving aside all the other absolutely horrendous things that have been going on It could. There's a remote possibility that one of the uh, deciding justices, the majority justices, wanted to leak this to soften the blow when it is eventually publicized officially. You know, who knows? So that you have kind of two gentler hits instead of the one big one. And yet another possibility is that it was to spur legislation. Because right now, the liberals, the Democrats, have control of both houses and the presidency. So if ever they're going to enshrine abortion into law, then this would be the time to do it. So they will try to pressure, since it's a 50-50 in the Senate and they've got a majority in the House, they would try to pressure one of the two likely defecting senators to agree to end the filibuster so they can get get it through and the filibuster won't be able to stop legislation related to abortion. That could be another reason for uh, the leak at this this point. But what does it mean? So what does a, a leak like this mean? I mean, so the Supreme Court, at least in theory or as a symbol, is kind of the last bastion of the culture of objectivity. Obviously, in practice, that hasn't been the case. I've worked with a number of judges where that is not the case. There's not this kind of mystical objectivity that we get to step into as lawyers and decide that we're not going to be swayed one way or the the other by our individual passions or the context of what could happen if we decide one way versus another. But it still was, at least culturally and symbolically, it was the bastion of, this is where real justice churned out irrespective of political or public pressure. So it's not social pressure that's going to make a determination over whether something was criminal or not. And obviously that has been something that's been under attack <laughs> for a little while now uh, with some of the recent ludicrous verdicts. Now I did, did I mention at one point that I had gone out with a staffer for a prominent liberal politician and my favorite prominent liberal politician, so I thought I might be in the pocket, in the pocket of okay. And this person, it turns out, was a lunatic. It is really dis- disheartening, related to one of the big political issues. It's really tragic because some of the times that you think about it, your consideration is that okay, yes, all the the most ridiculous voices are amplified in social media. But once you meet people in real life, once you see them or talk to them. Them in real life then it's a different context, and they're going to be more reasonable. And I do find that with a lot of people, but there are people who are just absolutely ludicrous. Speaking of, remember recently, Dr. Fauci, he was interviewed, and he said that whether the CDC public transport mandate, whether the uh, mask mandate should be in place or not, was not a matter for the courts. He said it was a matter for the CDC. And it, it's possibly one of, if not the dumbest thing I've ever heard, to consider just consider what implication that would have. If any given, at inst- administrative institution if it could just make whatever determination it wanted about what it was going to do and there was no oversight on it and there was a, no way to review whether that comported with the law or anything else i i just i can't even understand what how his brain could go to that point i mean g- genuinely if this is how health professionals think of the world they shouldn't have any power over anything they should be playing with blocks and watching cartoons i just i can't even fathom that this was something that came out of his mouth something that his brain thought was a functional theory. But obviously, if the Supreme Court is so politicized at this point that justices are trying to create political pressure to change court opinions, then things are even worse than we thought. So anyway, the decision itself. What Alito says about Roe, it's not just true, it's obviously true. It's been kind of an ideologically buttressed proposition and the, the dirty little secret of the legal profession for half a century. It's something that when you go into law school and they discuss this case, there's all this politicization around it, but it's so easy to see how ludicrously beyond the bounds uh, the justices in that case stepped, that they just decided that they were going to start legislating. They made up the law out of whole cloth. They just decided that this is what the law was going to be related to this area, and that's not how the system works, not at all. Judges get to interpret the law. The check and balance on what judges get to do is that they interpret what the legislature has already done. They don't get to just make stuff up for themselves. So this would be um, tremendously consequential to have judges just get to legislate in lieu of the legislature. The elected representatives getting to legislate. The point is that the judiciary is supposed to be independent and they're supposed to be able to figure this stuff out. On the basis of, does it comport with the Constitution? And in that particular case, it was the judges deciding that we are just going to fashion our own legislative framework and lay it down via this case law and just say that everybody has to, has to follow it. So, obviously, the ramification of this would be that if Roe and Casey are overturned, then it would go back to the states, the state legislatures, get to decide where, if any, restrictions on abortion there might be, or whether it's outlawed outright, and you just can't do it, period. So, what's the morality, speaking of? What is the morality around this whole thing? It is uh, the most consequential political question there is, period. There's nothing more consequential than this question, and that is, okay, when is it a life? From one moment, it has no rights, it has the significance of a tooth cleaning, it doesn't matter in any way, shape, or form, legally, morally, you could do it a million times a day and it would make no difference. And then on the other side of that moment, it is the conscious murder of the most vulnerable human being on earth. And the collective persons who have the least amount of ability to protect themselves and the fewest advocates for them in that situation. So there's some moment, there's some moment on one side of the moment, it's perfectly fine. On the other side of the moment, no, it's, it's the worst thing that you can do. And the most ridiculous thing about that whole question is that... Every time I've ever talked to somebody about abortion who's a liberal or conservative but pro-choice, every single one of them I've ever talked to, they were adamant about, you know, the bumper sticker argument on the one side, the, you know, it's my body, my choice thing that, uh, no, you don't have any uh, right to make this determination. And then when you ask them to, okay, well, you know, obviously since that's your position then we need to know at what point is it different. And every single one of them has said, I don't know, you know, it's somewhere around uh, the first trimester, it's a certain number of weeks or whatever. What do you mean you don't know? What do you mean (laughs) maybe here, maybe there? That is, again, the most consequential question there can be, and yet it's not one that you can state with absolute certainty, that you have this down cold without a question or a shadow of a doubt. That's uh, absolutely ludicrous. So the upshot of that is that for a good 50 years, and this isn't something that most people I think would have been aware of long term, is that you likely have the psychological archetypal lost value for the idea of life and children over the course of the last 50 years and that being a theory uh, you can certainly see the fruits of that theory long term you can see that when it comes to family you know the rates of entering a family of creating a family the rates of people just sticking with family in general of motherhood of marriage all those things have been on a decline for an extended period of time and then just i mean just look at it when it comes to the value of children in general it's been uh no you have to look at the climate uh, because they're going to be a blight on the climate don't have them. Mothers and teachers becoming dramatically more self-interested in lieu of concern for their children or pupils. Likely the long-term effects of that decision at that time. I mean, that's something that it just seems like it's had a growing effect. It's not something that we just reached a plateau and that was that, and then we kind of moved on from there. It's something that's been growing and growing and growing. It went from, you know, safe, legal, and rare to something to be celebrated. It went from the most extreme cases of rape and incest to it's a a minor inconvenience to my life and therefore it's something that should be destroyed there was something behind that (laughs) some there was some kind of a a long-term decay that contributed to that dramatic shift in positions so apart from that and this is one thing that i would have considered you know when i initially read this book way back when the donahue levitt hypothesis so this is published in the Quarterly Journal of Economics in May 2001, and it showed up in their book later, Freakonomics, in 2005, and they published a counter-argument, too, to people who attacked this argument in 2005. The argument was, the hypothesis is, that the spike in abortion rates from Roe v. Wade throughout the 1970s contributed to the miraculous decline in crime in the 1990s. So the theory is that they would have come of age, all the, the children who were would would have been lower income and uh, less supported children, they would have come of age about, you know, 20 to 25 years, uh, between 19 and 25 years after abortion was legalized and became more prevalent. And that's when they would have been engaging in their criminality. But since they weren't around, then we have this dramatic decline in criminality on that basis. So they use a number of arguments to support this. In their, their counter-argument that they brought up, they talked about how states where they had increased rates of abortion, because you have to control for that. Some states increased dramatically, some states didn't. Some states had restrictions on it, lots of restrictions, some didn't. So when you control for those things, then you can see that the crime rate actually declined more significantly in states that had increased rates of abortion at the time of uh, the passage of the laying down of the decision in Roe v. Wade. So, that's something that has to be taken into consideration. We have had, and I think we just talked about this in the last episode, of uh, Better Angels, where Steven Pinker talks about how the criminality has been declining dramatically. And, of course, one thing to look at would be to look at different countries and, and how crime has uh, worked there. But you've, you'd have to control for a number of different things in the United States that makes the United States special. But, anyway, so... Steven Pinker talks about this how there's been a dramatic decline in criminality over the course of decades. And so a lot you know there are a number of theories for the causes of that, and some is the broken glass theory, and that there's just inc- increased police presence and all that sort of thing uh, that prevented the criminality. But it's most certainly possible that uh, one of the major contributors to a decline in crime, it makes perfect logical sense and there's some statistical reason to believe it is that abortion was codified at the time at least in uh, you know judicial now, obviously, we killed all the criminals before they had the opportunity to decide to be criminals is not a morally admirable position. Everybody saw Minority Reports. <laughs> it's a whole point in that movie. Uh, it's not admirable or a moral position to say that it's more beneficial to kill everybody who might turn out to be a criminal than enjoy the fruits of that. That's just not a, a moral position. But of course, obviously, this wouldn't ban abortion in every state. This would just uh, make it leave it up to the states to be able to do what they, what they will when it comes to abortion. Okay, so uh, when it comes to the big picture, though, the, the left has been crying wolf for at least five and a half years. You know, one thing through the Trump presidency is everything the guy had to say, no matter what it was, about what, <laughs> they would scream as if it was the worst thing in the universe. And every time somebody on social media questioned the validity of a a vaccine or masks or mask mandates in general or when somebody used the wrong pronoun, it even got to the point of crying about people saying learn to code to journalists who were just laid off. And those uh, those people were punished on Twitter, by the way, Uh, you weren't able to tweet learn to code at a journalist. Anybody who wants to talk about how, you know, the censorship was just uh, (laughs) to prevent covid misinformation or something like that. Uh, Yeah, that was that was the thing is that anybody who tweeted learn to code at a journalist was deemed hate speech or disinformation and banned from the platform. And so now, of course, the sky is falling, sky is falling uh, when it comes to this. I think a lot of people who are going to hear about this and have that initial tinge of outrage and then realize, oh, it's left up to the states, that that's going to be a kind of stultifying factor uh, when it comes to how much of an effect this is going to have. And obviously, we we're right before the midterms, so this is this is one thing that could push the base, you know, the Democratic base, to to come out again. But we'll have to see what kind of effect it has. You know, it's really, it's been years and years of this crying wolf that everything is the end of the world, and I don't see a whole lot of sane people just buying it as much this time. It's just, been there have been so many gymnastics, uh, just intellectual, emotional, and rhetorical gymnastics routines that we've been, we've seen for the past however many years when it talks about how evil and horrible all these incredibly basic things are, like espousing the uh, the classic and obvious definition of a woman. I just don't know if there's going to be. I don't. I'm not sure how people are going to respond to this. And if they're just going to go right back into their, their mode, their outrage mode in the same way, I, I don't know if that's still going to work. Is over time, people, they get desensitized to these kinds of things. So I'm not sure, but there are quite a few lunatics out there. So, uh, so we'll have to see. Anyway, so that was a, uh, that was that episode. That was Cheery. And now we're going to go on. Like I said, we're going to have the, the Bezos book coming up and then more uh, affective neuroscience after that and some fiction after that and, and that will be the next couple of weeks. I hope all is well and I will see you on the next one. All right, bye.